Hi everyone and welcome to my podcast, Is That What You Think?, which includes a lot of conversations and also a little bit of coaching thrown in. In each episode, I'll be talking to some amazing people, finding out about what they do, how they do it, what they think and how they navigate life's obstacles. And I'm sure we'll find out some interesting things along the way. And if you're in the same career as my guest, or you want to get into their industry, then hopefully you'll get some useful insights too. I'll also throw some coaching questions at my guests to really dig deep into their mind and their innermost thoughts. So if you're like me, if you're a bit of a people watcher when you're sat in that coffee shop, I know you're going to love this podcast. So let's not waste any more time and let me introduce you to my guest who I've been wanting to speak to about his career for a very long time, but I've never actually quite got round to it. I'll tell you a bit about why in a moment. Please welcome Rich Hunter. Hi, Rich. How are you? Hi, Suzanne. Thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, I'm good, thank you. Good stuff. So let's just explain to everyone listening the reason I've never been able to ask you too many questions um, about your job is that when we actually get together, there's a few more of us as your wife is actually my best friend. So when we get together, we're probably a bit too busy kind of catching up, having our own kind of adventures. And I know I always try and corner you for five minutes, but ask you questions, but we never really get round to it. So I'm so glad you've come onto the podcast today so I can actually ask you all those questions. Hopefully that's okay with you. Absolutely. Yeah, no problem at all. Uh, Good stuff. Forward to it. So for everyone that's listening, tell us more about what you do, Rich. Yeah, so um, my job is um, as a divisional senior manager for East Midlands Ambulance Service. Um, now, that doesn't sound too much, really, at the start of it. But <laughs> dig a little bit deeper. Um, I hold the, the qualification of a commander uh, within the ambulance service. Um, and that's um, on the background of me being a paramedic at heart. So that's what I wanted to do, be a paramedic, but I've then moved through the ranks uh, and, now, and now I end up as the divisional senior manager for planning um, and, and other, other uh, pieces that I, I get landed with, which could be around special projects. If we've got, such as the, the, the king or whoever coming to the county, I'll, I'll put out the plan for them coming and look at staffing. Um, I also look after um, the our international paramedics that come over. So if we get any international paramedic from Poland, let's say it'll be me that goes and does the recruiting for that and brings them in. Um, and then the second part of my role um, is around command and control and making sure all my um, my managers that are out on the road are command and control trained and are maintaining that level of uh, competency. That sounds quite a kind of a far reaching job with quite a lot of um, responsibility. And how long have you been doing all that for? So I'm now into my 21st year. So I, I did 20 years last November. Um, so I've just started my 21st year. Um, the first five years were uh, around training. So three years to become a paramedic. Uh, and then there's a couple of, couple of years, uh, three or four years in, in the training centre as an instructor. Um, where I was teaching new paramedics and also teaching the blue light element of uh, of what paramedics do, uh, the, the driving side of it. And then I've moved from there into the management and then moved up the management um, management chain, but, but always maintaining that 
I'm a paramedic at heart. You know, the patient patient is what I, I joined for, you know, initially. Sure. And what kind of made you decide that kind of paramedic life was for you? Um, I, I don't know, really. It, was, it wasn't a conscious decision that I made. I was um, a golf professional before being a paramedic. Um, and I just saw an advert one day in the paper wanting um, people in the, in the area that I lived as, as local community responders. So they would go out in their local village, local community, ahead of the ambulance um, and provide that sort of voluntarily life-saving care when you get there. So administer oxygen, a defib or, or do CPR. Um, and I, I started doing that and I just got absolutely hooked with it um around that giving back i suppose um and, and before you know it i got an interview with the ambulance service i'd been offered a role and november the 4th 2002 came round and i was sat at the training center in lincoln doing my first day of training as a as an ambulance a student ambulance paramedic at the time it was a... Wow, and you can remember all that so clearly even now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's it's one of those things that that's kind of etched on, on your mind. So, you know, you remember the, the first of a lot of things in your life, but this one was, it, it's kind of defined where, where I've gone through my career, that, that first day of sat in, sat in that training school. Um, and then when I went back to the same training school as an instructor five years later, it brought a lot of memories back from me being sat in that seat by the window, nervous, clamming, oh. thinking, what have I just done? I've given up a great career as a golf professional and I'm now going into something that I have absolutely no idea about. And on the Thursday of that week one, I came home and actually said, I can't do this. I'm going to go okay. back to being a golf professional. I'm going to have my notice in. I, I can't do it, but you know I'm a, I'm a stubborn so and so, and I thought it's not <laughs> going to beat me. So I got up the next morning, went in, had the first week's exams, passed those first weeks week of, of exams that week, and thought maybe, perhaps I can do this. Maybe I'll try it a bit longer and see what happens. A week, give it another week, and then twenty one years later, I'm still giving it another week, giving it. Another week. <laughs> That's amazing. And it's incredibly different than a golf professional. I mean, there's, there is no link between the two, I don't think. <laughs> no, not, not at all. You know, it's customer care, ultimately, you know, um, I guess I was yeah. the 500, 600 members of the golf club with the shop and teaching them and uh, how to play, etc. Uh, but then that moved into a different kind of um, different kind of care, I suppose, which was for me um, a lot more important than the one I was doing before. I know a lot of people wouldn't agree with that, but for me personally, to be able to provide care to somebody when they're at their perhaps at their, their lowest point or when sure. they need a bit the most, it, it's mm. more important that for me than showing somebody how to hit a golf ball a little bit straighter than they were before. <laughs> you know it's um it's weighing the two things up isn't it yeah and i guess you were saying about kind of giving back and helping others 
and that kind of care side. Is that one of the reasons you sort of transitioned then into the kind of the management side to getting to the training of others and kind of looking after other people to bring them through the ranks as well? Yeah, it, it was very much it was very much that because I got the instructor side of things from being a golf golf instructor. It kind of naturally, I naturally was pulled towards the training centre. But one of the main reasons I went to the training centre was because when I was out on the road, I was dealing with one patient at a time. And that's all I could deal with. I couldn't deal with 10, 15, 20, 50 people at a time. It was one patient that I gave my, my, my ultimate focus to. And I was seeing other people on the station that were perhaps not doing it as I thought it should be done. I'm quite a stickler for things like that. And they were cut corners a little bit, I suppose. Um, and I, I, I didn't like to see that. So I thought, well, how, how can I make a difference to that patient over there and that one over there as well as my own? And the, the only way I could do it is if I went to training school and I teach everybody my way, the right way, which sounds a bit precocious, I suppose, but if I teach them that way, then I'm affecting every single patient they go to. Mm. So I'm, I'm ultimately hitting every patient that's ever treated within Lincolnshire if I teach the people that are going out to them. And that was one of the main reasons that I, that I went in there to, to make a difference via a different route, I suppose. Yeah. No, that's, that's a very honest answer, I think, because you, you're saying that, yes, there was kind of that natural draw, but also you felt almost a responsibility to ensure that standards were maintained really highly and really effectively and that everybody had not just the the right but the suitable the most appropriate level of training and supervision and support I guess to ensure that you knew that you could do a job but you also knew that they could then do the best job possible absolutely yeah and, and that way everybody calls 999 will get that that same treatment as I suppose that you know the high level treatment that we all aspire to give out there and not the ones where corners were being cut I suppose not in a bad way but they perhaps didn't do things maybe the way that I would want them to be done and because I was an absolute stickler for you know we must do it this way this is what the training book says this is what how we should do it um, and, and I've learned over time perhaps there are different ways to do things and my way's not always the right way there are different ways of doing it but okay. at that time it was about you know I've got to make a difference and I can only do it to one how can I do it to 100 200 500 yeah I mean that's that's very reassuring for the rest of us to know is that there are people like you in in that profession that are kind of going above and beyond and going out of their way to ensure that the training is just a hundred percent kind of spot on and that the interactions that managers have with staff and that as you work through the different levels is that you do get that training and support so that everyone can be the best and like you say ultimately give the best care the best treatment to the people who as you say they are probably going to be at their lowest point who need that trust and reassurance that they are absolutely 100% safe in your hands, quite literally. Yeah, yeah, that's it. They see, they see us turn up in, in green and, we're, you know, we are the saviours to them, I suppose. We've got a magic pill that will cure everything. And it, it, sometimes it's about 
explaining that look perhaps we haven't got all of that that you need right at the minute but this is what we can do to make make things easier make things better for you in it certainly around the the elder population that wouldn't call us don't call us unless unless they're absolutely desperate because they feel that they're being a hindrance to us yeah i'd rather deal with those people every day all the time because they've got so much experience so many life stories and tales to to talk to you about um than other people that we deal with as you can imagine on a friday and saturday night um that that make the job quite challenging at times yes a different class of clientele shall we say absolutely um but I, I love dealing with the the elderly people. I, I you know I love to sit and talk to them, and it may be that I'm the only person at times that they've spoke to in three, four, six months. They just sit at home and don't talk to anybody, and it takes a lot for them to ring nine nine nine, and all they want sometimes is a chat. Yeah. Somebody. So it's you know it's not about me racing there in a blue light, sirens, giving all these amazing drugs and doing this and doing that. A lot of the time, it's sitting down, having a cup of tea and a chat, listening to them, and then pointing them in the right direction of maybe a coffee club down the road that they didn't know about, or there's a, there's an online service called um, the, the, the silver. It's called Silver for um, talking. So you ring a number, telephone number, and it's a low cost number, and they okay. on 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 the other end that of a similar sort of. Uh, ilk really that they're on their own they live on their own they just want somebody to talk to um and that makes more of a difference to me and makes me feel i've really done something than sticking a drug into somebody and bringing them back from maybe a self-induced drug overdose or something like that um that makes a difference to me that, that helping somebody when they're at their their lowest and by just doing something very very simple which pointing them in the direction of a telephone number or a coffee club or a bingo hall or something like that that that's that's the training side that you can't you can't put in that's that personal side that you need to have for this job i think it's definitely that you have to have that mindset and that personality and that emotional kind of maturity to to do your job i don't and obviously from our many previous conversations i don't think it's anything that you can be trained in you can be trained in the the drug side the medical side the driving side but that care element that that human aspect which is so so important i don't think you can teach that i think that you either have it or you don't i think yeah yeah i agree absolutely so I would normally ask um, guests that come on here what their best part of their day is and what their worst part of the day is. Now, I think I've just got a good idea as to what the best part of your job is, the reason that you get up, that you go on shift, that you lead your teams and that you manage. I don't think I have to ask you what the worst part of the job is, unless it's not what I'm imagining it is. Um, the, the worst part for me is is the politics that go with the job. So okay, you know, I can I can have this idea that I want to set up something, or I want to do that, 
but there's always some red tape in the way. So, well, you can't quite do that. You need to do something different to get there. And and it's and that's the difficulty I struggle with because sometimes you have to change your mindset. Um, and there's a there's sort of a, a a phrase that's out there about changing your wind, uh, sorry, changing your sails to get around a headwind. And yeah, times you know I've got to do that, and and that's the bit I don't like about the job because it's such a such a sensible thing that I'm suggesting sometimes that will make a big difference but I have to deal with the the union element of it I have to deal with the costing element of it have we financially got this and then they want a business plan and it's it's such a simple thing but it can yeah. months because of the politics that that side of the job that I don't don't really enjoy and I think we're, well, the likes of us, the general public, we are only now becoming much more aware and educated, um, for want of a better phrase, as to what exactly is going on behind the doors of the NHS. And we're now only really seeing, over, especially over the last few months, just exactly what you guys are having to deal with, put up with, face on a daily basis that we're just so not aware of we just go around our daily basis thinking oh well yeah everyone's on the end of the 999 call and they're all just sat around kind of waiting and training and things like that but obviously in in recent months a lot more has has come to light so only now we understanding when you say the pressures and the politics we're only now getting more of an idea as to what exactly that looks like yeah yeah absolutely you know the the things that we do, we take, uh, sort of just for my my area, we take an emergency call every 30 seconds that comes through wow. the 999 system. Um, we, we're very, very structured by time on, on categories of jobs. So the most highest level job we get, category one or a red one call, we have to hit it within seven minutes, 90% of the time. And... Um, when you've got a geography like Lincolnshire, that's really difficult, really difficult to do when you could have 30 miles from where the ambulance is to get to where it needs to be. They're not the best roads as well. So mm -hmm. an awful lot of pressure on the crews before they even get to the job because they know what, because they're getting regular information coming through on their little screen within the, the ambulance, updating them of what's happening at the other end. So live yeah. information. They know what they're going to. They know what's happening. Um, so there's that that extra pressure there as well. Um, so yeah, it, it is challenge. It is a challenging job. Yeah. So you say obviously it's, it's it's those challenges every single day. What sort of daily habits do you think you've got now with your quite a few years experience what sort of habits do you have now that kind of set you up to make sure your mind's in a good place your body's in a good place and you're as ready as you can be for what you're about to put yourself through that day um yeah and I've, I've thought sort of thought about this quite often recently um and I think what I what I have is is quite a quite a good setup so I get up in the morning and I've got as you know three horses so I spend that half an hour, 45 minutes with those horses, feeding them, um, you know, putting them out in the field, mucking them out, ready for, for, for Nick later on to, to put them away. Um, and that, that gets me kind of in a good place to start with, is, is that interaction with the animals. Um, I then have an hour's drive to work. 
Um, and that hour to work again is good both ways because I can start prioritizing what I need to do in my mind. I know on a Monday I'm going to be busy because I've got a lot of the weekend stuff to pick up. Um, but I've also got a plan then for a Tuesday meeting, which is my big meeting. Um, so that hour I have going to work is really, it's quite good um, for me to get into the right headspace, I suppose, um, when I'm getting there. And then once it works, it's about, about prioritising. What have I got to do now? What do I need to pick up? Are there any incidents that I need to deal with that's happened over the weekend, such as staff welfare, um, anything around the command side of things or control? Have I got anything in my um, my inbox that is, I've got to deal with this now, such as we've got somebody visit a VVIP visit in the area um, in two days' time. I've got to put a, a plan or strategy in place to make sure that they're safe when they come in. Um, and then it's just planning my, my week, really. A lot of it is pre-planned with meetings anyway. Um, but I always try and, and make sure that when I'm in work, I'm in work. So about eight, nine hours a day that I'm at work, I'm in work. And then when I come out of work, it's about leaving that behind because I don't like bringing things home to um, to Nick, to, to my wife, um, because it's not something that, you know, she can get her head around. Certain jobs that, I, that I've been to, that I go to or etc. that I need to, to get off my chest at times. Mm -hmm. I have that hour coming home to, to clear my head or to give my sounding board who I've got um, on the end of the phone a call just to discuss something and run something through with them just to see how things are. So I don't bring it into the house. And then the first thing when I get home is to take the uniform off, get into my civvies, um, and that's me out of work mode then. And then I can relax and you know switch off i suppose so it's about yeah. transitioning from from civvy to work and back into civvy again that, that i find important for me and it sounds like having that as kind of a routine is really beneficial because you you can almost set expectations of yourself that you know at this time you'll be doing this then you move on to this bit so whereas in the morning get up look after the horses and they are very lovely horses i can honestly say that um and then drive to work and make that transition mentally from home to work and get the priorities in place and i was going to ask you about kind of decompressing after a day whether it be just uh, not your normal but kind of just an, an average day in the office where you're just super busy moving from one task to the next and I was going to say kind of is there some kind of support system in place and I, you, you kind of touched on it then that you do have people that you can speak to yeah yeah um, the, the job has changed massively over the 20 years that I've been in um, where 15, you know, 10, 15 years ago, um, we didn't have the, the well-being side of things in place for, for our staff. Um, and over the last sort of five, five years, I would say, we've now started to put a lot of things in there. So we have um, immediate debriefs after any incident. And it may not be the ones that people think. It may not be the, the, the big house fires, the cars, RTCs or et cetera. It may be... Um, somebody who's been to um you know a 90 year old that's died in a care home we've gone we've done the paperwork they've come out but it's really hit them because they've recently lost their their grandparent and it brings it back mm. um, so it could be something as similar as similar simple as that which we do day in day out it's a regular part of our job is to is to go in and you know see these the the, the elderly people and, and do that that 
confirmation of death. Um, and you can deal with that because you don't you don't know them. You're not attached to them. But yeah. And sometimes it brings things back from your own personal life um, that make that makes it a little bit difficult. So what we do, they have an immediate debrief um, with the manager. So they sit down, they have team biscuits, as we call it, a team biscuit chat mm-hmm. um, that allows them to um, empty that stress bucket, let's say. So okay. keep filling that bucket up with, with stress. Eventually it's going to over overfill everywhere. So we're very, very keen on having these regular sit-down chats, um, especially after, after a job that people would think that we go to. That's, that's vital. What we do then, we, after about five days or 72 hours, we do a trim assessment. Now, trim is something that's come from the military, and it's around spotting um, PTSD or acute stress in people that have been to incidents. So the Marine... Royal Marine Commandos, they came up with the structure, I suppose. And what they were finding is that people, when they were coming out of, out of theatre from war, were still very, very hyper, very um, very up there. Um, and they needed a way of coming down. And sometimes they, they didn't deal with it how you'd expect. They went and hit the drink, etc. Um, so this is all about is spotting that, spotting those signs early in staff. So we don't do it straight away. Um, and the best analogy I can give you is that if you throw a rock into a pond, you're going to get the huge waves to start with. Mm-hmm. Mine's just not, not you've got the adrenaline, you've got all the thoughts of the job. But after two or three days, that those ripples become yep. very, very calm, very flat again. And that's when we get the best from it and the best from the person and we get the... Um, the more rational thoughts and processes that we can put in place then. So we leave it five days, 72 hours, and then we do um, a, a talk with them. It's not an assessment, it's more of a talk, but we're listening for certain things, um, you know, things such as, well, this could have happened to me quite easily. So, you know, I've, I've been out and I've bought a, bought a Mercedes-Benz or a Jaguar over the last couple of days because I'm going to live my life full now. I don't want to have that happen to me. You think... There's something not quite right there. Um, you shouldn't go out and spend that amount of money just on that sort of one thing that you've seen, you know. So mm. We look for certain things like that. Um, but also we, we do a lot of other things as well. So if we've got some younger people in the service, let's say 30s, 40s, that sort of age group that are coming to me and, and inquiring about their pension at that age, it makes what's going on not a lot of people want to take the pension at that sort of age or yeah they're asking about oh there's you know if anything was to happen to me does my family get looked after etc etc so so that's what that trim assessment is about um but then we've got a, a, the reverend who we call him our chaplain who is a paramedic okay who has been away and done his um theological studies and is now a reverend um he wears same greens that I wear when I'm out on the road, but he has a dog collar with it, which sometimes can be a bit strange, let's say, to the, to the patient when he walks in with the recess bags and the dog collar on. They're not quite sure which what he's going to do. Is he going to give me the last rites or is he going to... <laughs> it's kind of mixed signs, isn't it? So, but he he's also there available for, for the chaplaincy side of things as well. But we also have a company that um, com, comes in and does CBT counselling if should we need it. 
uh, that does EMDR, which is really good for PTSD. So we, we are really focusing on our, our staff over these last five years very, very heavily um, and looking for support, putting support in place to them all the time. Um, so th we have a lot of things there available to staff, but I've, I've learned over the 20 years that to lock it away somehow. And I don't mm. know how I've done it. I can't give your viewers a, um, and your listeners a, a trick to do that. It's just something that I've learned. And the way I deal with it is it's in the past. I can't affect it now. It's happened. It's done. Lock it away. Yeah. Don't bring it back. Don't open that box again. Get rid of the key and, and leave it there. Um, mm. And I've been quite lucky with that. I've, I've, I've been to, to some things that people shouldn't see. Um, nobody should ever see over the, over the years. Um, yeah. And that's why I, I have that decompression on the way home. Because if I didn't, I'd bring it into the house. And that's not good for the relationship between me and Nick. Because she doesn't know how to deal with that. She struggles to deal with that side of it, it's, it, it which I, I get. I absolutely get. Yeah. Not everybody can deal with or see the things and listen to the things that we've been to. Yeah, and obviously, naturally, she she is your wife. She's your partner. She will naturally then worry about not just what you're having to deal with, but it's the, it's you that's having to deal with it. So she will try and take on things for you. Um, and that's not right and that's not kind of how it should be so I think your approach is um, it it does sound yes it's a very mature and sensible one but I think it also sounds like it comes from a position of experience that you've not only found what works for you but you've had the the teachings and the training to help you along with that as well yeah yeah absolutely so on the days when you're not quite feeling it, you might have worked quite a few days in a row, how do you motivate yourself to get up and do the best job that you possibly can? I guess it's always that thought of what more can I do? What more can I put into place to help people? Because ultimately, one of those ambulance crews could be going to a family member, a friend, or even me. And that's what keeps me going is because I need to keep that level of training up. I need to make sure that I'm putting enough people out on the road every day because I don't want it on my conscience that, well, you didn't bother today and we only put half the amount of crews that are out there and something happens while I'm while it's on my watch. You know, we all we all dread that phone call. All all the senior commanders, we all dread that phone call at three, four, five o'clock in the morning, this has happened, you need to be in Netwin work now because we have got this incident. And that happened very recently to us with the um, the stabbings that I'm sure your listeners are aware of that happened in Nottingham. It was all over the news. And um, yeah. is um, part of our trust, EMAS Trust. And we got a phone call or I got a phone call at six in the morning saying, you need to be in work. We've gone to our highest level of um, incident. You need to be in because this may be terrorism. We don't know. Uh, mm -hmm. And that's the call that you don't want. So that's what motivates me really is what more can I do to make things better? But ultimately for that patient. Yeah. No, that's... 
that's that's really lovely to hear that and again that just reinforces it that it is personality as much as training that that's who you are that's your kind of genetic makeup as you are as a person um i'm obviously fortunate to know you kind of outside of work and and the two are, are really kind of mirroring and matching each other um so what happens then at work if you have to deal with somebody who's highly stressed highly anxious what sort of tips or tricks do you bring into play then um it's a so what i tend to do i get i do get a lot of calls people have known me for a long time um and i do get a lot of phone calls so the first thing is is that i do is is to listen is to and i always use the saying i've got two ears and one mouth for a reason uh, mm -hmm. listen to what they're saying and nine times out of ten once they've offloaded once they've they've shared that issue that problem they feel a lot better and they you say well, thanks thanks for that i just needed to get it off my chest it's winding me i said okay so what can we do about it how can we make things better what have you got in your arsenal to make things better and what have i got and let's work together to make this this right um but again some people do come up in person to see me mm -hmm. and that for me is about let's take them out of my environment because my environment to them could be quite in, in my office you know they, they may feel a little bit sort of i've got to, i've got to be a certain sort of person and that's not good so let, let's take them to a neutral place for both of us um and sit down close the door not put any time frames on anything and say talk to me tell me what's going on and it's about that listening. Um, and if you listen to people, you learn to read between the lines. And that's something that I've picked up over the last sort of 20 years. They may be telling you one thing, but actually it's something else that they're trying to tell you. They just don't want to tell you. So, And if you keep jumping in and keep asking them and going over it, they'll get frustrated and won't tell you. Sit back. Absolutely. Two ears, big mouth. Absolutely. I just, I wholeheartedly agree. I'm just kind of grinning as you're saying that because you're, you're talking my language now. That's the, that's the counselor and that's the coach coming out in you. And I absolutely agree that you take somebody out of that particular situation, neutral ground. You just have a very open conversation. You listen to them as I do with, with coaching clients and you can then start piecing things together once they start telling you things which they might not think is connected. It's just taking up space in their, their brain and that they just kind of want to offload. And you can then almost reflect back what they're saying, how they're saying it, even how they're sitting in the chair, their body language, what their eyes are telling you, um, what, what their hands are telling you. And you can kind of pick up on all those signs, which they're not necessarily that in tune with because they're more in their own head and in that situation rather than themselves as a, as a whole person. So it, it sounds like you have to play so many different roles kind of every single day. So all credit to you for, for being able to, to handle all of that. So what, to, to kind of flip that on its head how do you i know you've got your your journey home and you've got somebody that you speak to and obviously you've got um nick your wife who you can kind of just kind of say the very basics to maybe but how else do you kind of de-stress how do you kind of unwind from from work um 
my my thing that I like to do, I like to watch um, sort of box sets, so mm-hmm. things on the TV that I like to watch, um, and a lot of it is is around the military sort of things on there, and I like like to watch military things, real not real life military, but the, the TV military, let's say. Um, so I like to do to do that, and that's good because that just takes me completely away from where I am, gets me into this this different world, let's say that um, it's it's a good place for me for me to go to. Um, Any medical box sets, or do we leave those? Do we leave those it, far away? <laughs> that was one of the things when I first started doing doing this this job that I was watching the TV, and the family got quite fed up with me saying well they're doing that wrong they're doing that wrong they shouldn't be doing this you should be doing that that oxygen that's not inflating they got fed up with that so there's no medical stuff in the house at all you know there's no books there's nothing like that it's they're all away locked away if need be um and like you say it's 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 having that very firm divide between home life and work life and if you start watching things like you say you will comment you'll have an opinion and rightly or wrongly they'll be doing something and then that kind of brings everything back into the forefront of your mind whereas when you're at home you you want to not necessarily forget things but you want to kind of deal with other things and enjoy other things and and deal with work stuff tomorrow when you're back in the office but for that evening when you're back at home I mean you've got three horses three dogs yeah. very lovely wife which I have to say um you've got quite a lot yeah. <laughs> going on to occupy your non-working hours yeah yeah absolutely and that's what it is <laughs> and obviously I've got I've got Alex my son as well um and you know I like to, I like to, to get involved with Alex and what he's doing and understand what what he's doing I think he's probably going to be coming on one of your your podcast at some point as well so i won't spoil that, yeah. that because I, I, I think the your people will, that listen will like that one as well but i like to know what what he's up to and um so i've sort of chats with him as well about things and that, that that's my way of dealing with it is watching a few box sets that i like um but also that family life as well with nick and going out and doing things with nick and and the horses and the animals that's that's my get away from from work I suppose yeah okay so now I'm, I'm getting into kind of my kind of selfish area if, if I'm allowed to to ask you those questions which you know me I've probably kind of implied to like over dinners and stuff like that but if you can tell me or you might want to slightly change the details or do whatever you need to do but what's What's the strangest call out you've ever been to? Um, we we get a lot really, um, but a lot of them are when they first come in. We have a system like a triage system of calls, so they'll be coming through, um, and a lot of them you won't you won't sort of get to. Um, so I, I think probably one of the strangest ones was. Um, my very very first job that I ever went out on, um, oh, wow. and it was with um, who is now, uh, it was my mentor at the time, but he's now the chief executive of of the um, of the trust of EMAS, and we went to a patient that had impaled themselves. Okay. 
Why did I ask this question? <laughs> I know everybody wants to ask you this question, so I'm just going to let you carry on for a little bit. Yeah, and it, it so they'd impaled themselves. So I was thinking, oh no, they've fallen from something. They've got uh, a, a metal bar or a stick or something, you know, stuck stuck that they've been. Mm-hmm. Um, and when when we got there, we went to the address and we heard the shouting from upstairs, so which was a bit unusual because it was in the house. But fair enough, people fall through lofts and roofs and what have you. We went they upstairs do. and there was a gentleman who was in the shower, who had um, slipped while in the shower and had impaled himself on a porcelain dolphin. I'm sorry, you shouldn't laugh, but... No, so it was, it, again, oh to keep that straight face because he could have done quite a bit of damage, etc., to himself. Um, well, that was that was going to obviously be my, my question is, was he okay? Yeah, he was fine. It hadn't snapped. It hadn't broken. So I think putting two and two together, he hadn't actually slipped in the shower on a <laughs> dolphin that was in there. Something else may have been going on, but... We, we we managed to get him outside onto the ambulance. Said right, okay, we're, we're we'll go to school, to the local hospital at the time. Um, and he said, no, 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 please, can can we go to another one that's sort of forty miles away? And we went, well, we don't normally do that. We have to take you to the receiving nearest receiving hospital. He said, look, I'll be honest with you, it won't be my first time going in there in this situation. Oh my god, they know me. I'd rather go somewhere where they don't know me. <laughs> So it was a very, very strange job from day, and that was my hello ambulance service. This is what you do. You've just spent all this time training, all this um, pressure and stress to get through your training and become out of the other side with your qualified epaulets on, and you go to something like this. But like I said right at the start, at that time, that was that person's emergency. Um, we, we have something called black humour within the emergency services yeah where it's never done in front of the patients never done in front of the relatives it's done away from scene it's in the back of the vehicle and you somehow find the dark side of of, of the incident that you've been to which again is a decompression for um and we it, it sounds awful and i'm sure your listeners will won't always agree but unless you're in that environment you you don't understand it, I suppose, but it is the dark side of it. We find humour of what's happened. Otherwise, we, we, we can't cope. We wouldn't cope. So, No, that that is totally understandable. And you, you like you say, you, you have to decompress from whatever the situation is, whether it be the, the most horrendous kind of situation or the most bizarre and extreme. Because at the end of the day, you're still... St- you're, still dealing with a, a patient who is in pain, frustrated, deeply kind of embarrassed, and you still have to provide them the best service to help them, to reassure them, to calm them, and to medically treat them, yeah. um, no matter how they got into that situation in the first place. And, and every patient is your number one priority every single day and and i don't think anybody would expect you to behave in any other way because you can only take on so much in your own mind so you you have to have some kind of release and i'm as you know i'm sure there's 
people that work in funeral homes and doctors and surgeons and things like that who probably have a, a very similar way of of dealing with things otherwise they just wouldn't you wouldn't deal with things no and then it's as i said it, it's you'll never see it happening you'll never see the the crews doing it the ambulance crews doing it it's done away privately back on station in the back of an ambulance out the way and it's it's their their way of dealing what they they're dealing with but that was probably one of the the ones that's at the forefront really that comes straight to mind is my very first job it was that one well that's enlightened us all absolutely <laughs> so let's just bring it back to a more professional level to then shall we so in your few years that you've had um in in your profession has there anybody that's kind of inspired you or that you've kind of looked up to in in any way that's helped you um yeah there was it was the um my first instructor really um and, and, and even to this day he does now and he's my sounding board um so he's, he's been in training school from from year dot he's always been there um so when i joined the service he was my instructor for my very first course i then went out on the road for a couple of years and then came back and did my paramedic training with him and he again was my course tutor um and he's the most he's the cleverest person that i've ever come across there isn't anything he doesn't know medically he's okay. one of these people that will sit religiously sit every night and do an hour and a half of reading on something okay medical to make sure he's he's up to speed he's up to date wow. and always give that answer to the crew should they need it and he's is he motivated me i suppose to want to become an instructor because when i wanted to become an instructor it was him i wanted to be like i want okay i took a lot of his mannerisms i suppose on how he was with with staff because he was he was such a motivator in that room of people now he could have come in there and just taught us anything this is the heart this is what he does but he but he did different things around it he he brought in different ways of learning for people so he didn't always do the the visual learning or the audio learning or the, the kinesthetic learning he, he he mixed it up so everybody in that group 12 of us we all learned at the same speed the same rate and we all okay. came out of it and that for me was really inspirational um that somebody could pick that up very quickly in a classroom and go you need a little bit more of this and you need a bit more of that so let's mix this together um and, and one an example i can give you is that we were talking about um macrophages basically which is something that goes around your body and eats all the um all the bad stuff in your body um so we were doing that about cellular stuff and he said what i've been doing i'm going to bring into the room so we brought into the room some freshly made donuts and put them on the table that we've, we've covered over and we didn't know they were donuts he said what can you smell and he said right smell this okay so this is your your cells telling you that that there is the problem in your body and you need to get rid of that problem mm -hmm. what you're now going to do you're now going to go over as mr macrophage and get rid of that how are you going to do it so very quickly 12 donuts disappeared with 12 people <laughs> in the room as you can imagine and that yeah. that way of dealing with it was amazing because that made it real 
rather than he could have just stood there and talked talked to us about it, and they said right, go away now, we've done it. That off you go, go and learn it. But he didn't. He did something different, and everybody in that group went away. And even now, when I meet some of the people that were on my course, we all sit there and we, yeah, do you remember that time when when Stu taught taught us about the cellular stuff and he brought in the donuts, etc. So it's. And that's the thing, you still remember it now. It's still yeah. really clear to you now that that day, that lesson, whereas, and luckily we, we now know, there are different ways to learn. There are different ways to, to become educated. This isn't just sitting down and reading a textbook until kind of four hours has passed and you've supposedly taken in the knowledge. There are so many different ways that you pick up information. And he obviously immediately found what worked best for for your class at the time. And I I, I was 26 when I joined the, joined the ambulance service, 27. So I'd been out of education for a long time, 10 years, and it was really daunting coming back in. And I think he picked that up and he spotted that. Mm -hmm. um, and we'd all have a one at the end of every week. We'd all have a one to one with him, and he'd sit down. And he says, "How's it for you?" Wow. That was his opening question. How is it for you? And I, I picked so many things up from him, and I tried to kind of model how I am, how he was with me, um, because he's he's so well respected within the ambulance service. So, and does he know this? Does he know that? Probably not. He was your inspiration. No, no, probably not. No, because when I went back to training school, um, he then became my my mentor for, for for my teaching course. So he taught me how to teach as such. Okay. So I've I've never actually sat and spoken to him and and, and had that kind of conversation, um, because he's somebody that when he talks, everybody listens. He's that kind of person. He's okay. very very knowledgeable. Makes it fun. Um, you know that we all liked the sessions that he taught. You know, not to say we didn't like the other ones, but but his was special because we got yeah. a lot more from it just because of how he was, how his mannerisms were. Um, he always used to his 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 ending thing when we were talking about, let's say somebody's having a heart attack. Is that a big sick or is it a little sick? Yeah, that's a big sick. Excellent, well done. So you're going to get them in, aren't you? Yeah. Well, if somebody's got a tummy ache because they've had something. That they didn't like to eat. Is that a big sick or a little sick? Well, it's a little sick. Yeah, so you can you can stay a little bit and, and do a few more observations. You don't have to wait for us. So he made it really good, and it was the big sick, little sick sort of thing that that everybody's just. You'll hear them now on the road, even people that have just joined the service. That's a big sick that one, and you know where that's come from. Oh my goodness, he he just sounds like like you are. He is in the the right job. He's a, he's in the right profession. And if if that was kind of the way he is with you and how he was with, with, with teaching his students, kind of flip that to you, if that was his kind of advice and his way with you, what sort of advice or hints or tips would you kind of like to pass on to people who perhaps want to get into kind of the, the paramedic or the, the, the professions that you've held? Yeah, so the... I suppose coming into the ambulance service, the first thing I'd say is, is it's not like it is on the TV. Mm -hmm. You know, because on the TV, the TV glorifies everything that we do and they're running into big, big incidents all the time. What they don't see is all the other bits that we do behind that. 
and there's a lot a lot of things that we we do we we we, we certainly refer to ourselves as a master you know jack of all trades master of none you know one minute we can be a midwife the next minute we're being a social worker the next minute we're 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 being that paramedic and resuscitating somebody the next minute we're being a fireman because we're helping the fire team get people out of, of wherever we've got so many different trades or things that we have to be doing we don't specialize in just one thing mm. so I, what i would say to them is don't come in into the service thinking that everything is going to be the big glory stuff it's not 95 percent of what we do is mundane run-of-the-mill things social care adult social care um looking after mr and mrs smith from down the road that haven't seen anybody for a long time and you know they haven't put the heating on and they've got damp up the walls what can we do about that well, that's not an emergency is it but it is an emergency it's an emergency for them because in absolutely time there's got that dry rot is going to be on the on the lungs and they're going to have pneumonia so let's sort that out now before we get to that so don't come in thinking you're going to be wearing a cape your pants outside of your trousers every day that, that's not what we do it's that's five percent of what we do but we yeah all that and we give you the tools to deal for that five percent that trauma so it's about having kind of real expectations having that real dose of reality as to what you will actually face yeah. on a on a day-to-day -day basis along with probably what you probably have is heaps of paperwork to do as well as kind of all the the day-to-day -day admin task that pretty much most people in whatever career they have yeah. there is always. still that element always of admin paperwork. always paperwork <laughs> in any job that you do there's always paperwork um absolutely but i think the final thing i would say is to enjoy it enjoy what you do love do what you do what you're doing out there it's the best job in the world to, to be able to get up in the morning and go out and actually help somebody and give something back and get paid for it what what more could you ask for really uh, well all credit to you rich because there are a lot of us out here that couldn't do what you do and have utmost admiration and respect for for everything that you do so on behalf of everyone listening thank you very much for for what you do um but i just want to find out a little bit more about you personally if i may so one of the questions I always ask my guests is what three things would you take to a desert island? What three things would you take? So three things I would take. I would take a golf club and a golf ball. Or okay. maybe one or two golf balls. <laughs> <laughs> That's going back to my, again, previous thing where uh, keeps you active keeps things going in, in, in your mind so I'll take that uh, uh -huh. I would I would take some music of some sort I'm currently listening to to um, to Pink at the minute um, I love Pink I love her new album absolutely amazing uh, yeah listen to Pink and a bit of Louis Capaldi and a bit of Rag and Bone Man I've got a mixture of those three going on at the moment so I, I like my music um, as well now this this island is it possible to take my wife or not? Well, I'm single on the island. We we both know your wife, so I would say yes. There is, yes, there is room for your wife on this island. <laughs> That's right, because 
I, I don't give give Nick enough credit. Um, there's um, there's a saying that I'm sure your listeners know is that for a lighthouse to shine, it needs a stable rock base underneath it. And for me to be able to do what I do, Nick is that solid base that she gives me every day to allow me to be that lighthouse, I suppose. And she's such a solid um, inspiration to me that I couldn't think of anybody or anything else to take there that, that would be any better. Um, How lovely are you? Our listeners have probably just fallen even more in love with you right now for, for you just saying that. My question to you, though, is, are you going to tell Nicola that you've just said this? Um, probably not. <laughs> on your your, um, your blog later when on the podcast, I know she. <laughs> she can listen to it and find out when everybody else does as well. Okay, how how do you kind of match that in questions now? Again. Another question that I always ask to just find out a little bit more about you. If you could steal one thing and not get in trouble for it, no arrest made, nobody need know, what would you steal? Um, if there was such a thing that was out there that I could, I could do, um, I, I think it would be the book on how to be the best parent because that something that I've really really found difficult I'm very much somebody who reads a book and it says if this happens you do that if this happens you do that and if for that to happen that's going wrong so if you're having a heart attack it's because of this 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 and this so it all yeah with the golf swing if the ball goes right it's because of this this or this when a teenager comes in or a child comes in and says dad this isn't right I don't know what to do and I'm hang on a minute where do I find that information I don't know so if there was a book or a blog or a podcast or something that says here's the million questions that your children are going to ask you and here <laughs> all that that would be something that I could steal yeah absolutely that that would be that would be a bonus to to every one of us wouldn't it if we could if we could have something something like that just to give us a little bit of a confidence boost give us a little bit of a helping hand um when our children and then adult children need our help and we may or may not know the answer okay so random question what's your weirdest but loveliest tastiest sandwich filling What's the best sandwich filling for you? Best sandwich filling for me would be. I'm quite I'm quite boring, I suppose, in this way, but it'd be cheese, tuna, and egg combination. So your favourite sandwich: cheese, tuna, and egg. So layer of layer of tuna, some cheese on top, and then egg on top of that, with cheese on top. Perfect. And does it have to be in that it order? Can be in that order, layer. I like my like like my simple things. <laughs> yeah, that 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 for me would be the perfect sandwich. Okay, well, 
um, I'm not sure how I feel about that one because I don't, I think it's one of those ones that I think yeah, I'd have I'm, to try it to, to find got out. To, got to. So if anybody's listening at lunchtime, that's your lunchtime order sorted. That's absolutely what we're all going to have. Rich, thank you so much. This conversation has been just so enlightening, so informative. I think we've all definitely learned a lot. And as I said before, the utmost respect to, to you and all your colleagues and everybody in just in the NHS for what you do. A, a, a huge thank you. Um, it's it's reassuring to know that you have a support system in place kind of behind the scenes. Um, it's, I think for us, it's important that we know that you're getting looked after as well. Thank you so much for, for letting me pick your brains. And also thank you to everyone who's listened to this podcast. Please follow the show, leave a review uh, and follow me on social media. If you have any other subjects or questions that you'd like me to include on a future episode, then email me coaching at suzannebryden.co.uk. And I can't wait for you to join me next time for another wander through the human mind, its thoughts and how we achieve success. Rich, again, thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate it. And I will see you and your lovely wife very soon. And I will uh, see all our lovely listeners very soon too. Take care.